Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's great to be here, Dan. All right, Chris. Good to have you back. Um, start on, on, on a bit of positive note here. So, you know, we saw that uh, you know some economic data really continues to surprise the upside. We saw um, ISM manufacturing new orders. They showed expansion in the most recent release. Um, so the question here to start off today, um, you know, are you ex- still expecting some economic weakness as we head into the second quarter? Yeah, I, I still think we're going to see the economic slowdown. Uh, I, we'll see real growth running sub 1% in Q2, and we're going to see inflation remain sticky at the 3% level. So we'll still have nominal GDP of kind of 3 to 4%. And as we've said all along, that's going to be it. And then we're going to start to see a reacceleration specifically out of the uh, out of the industrial side of the economy. Uh, but the services side of the economy is really difficult to move into a recessionary condition. So on a lag basis, I'm sure it's going to experience an uplift as well. And, you know, I think when we get into Q3, Q4, you know, we could see 7% nominal GDP growth uh, which is kind of 3% real and kind of 3 to 4% inflation. And that's assuming they don't cut rates. Uh, if they cut rates, we could be running even hotter than that as we exit the year. And, and talking about uh, rates and, and inflation, so, you know, we saw the most recent CPI that, you know, that showed higher inflation than, it, than anyone had expected. Um, and, you know, you've mentioned a couple times in this prior podcast that inflation, uh, we thought it would begin to firm up. And then that would be probably be followed by a potential rise as we exit the fourth quarter. And do you think there's there's sufficient justification at this point for the markets to continue in, to continue pricing in rate cuts? You know, it's interesting. If you look at the inflation data and you look at the strength in the in the economy, certainly in the fourth quarter coming into January, and then what we think it's going to be in second and third quarter. Um, there's really no need for dramatic rate cuts. It doesn't mean that the Fed doesn't want to cut rates. I think they do, and for very different reasons than the strength of the economy. Uh, but the markets cut rates. The markets already lowered the, the three-year rate, the five-year rate, the 10-year rate, the 30-year rate. So I think the Fed is going to look for justification to cut rates to, let's say, 4 4 4.5%. And by doing so, we'll have a much more, a much flatter curve. But look, we're well advanced in our sovereign debt crisis, right? So the Fed and the Treasury are working together. They really do need to lower the cost and maintain the liquidity um, for uh, the U.S. Treasury. And I think that's more of the impetus for wanting an excuse for rate cuts. They just need to be careful that they don't reaccelerate or uh, uh, run the economy too hot because clearly, you know, the U.S. Treasury is going to pump a lot of liquidity into the economy and accelerate the economic activity and probably even the stock market as we head into the election. So if I'm hearing what you're saying, it sounds like we still have some some post-near-term softness here. Um, in that mind, you know, the May to June environment, that sounds like, it, you know, should be supportive for risk assets at least through year end or, or at the very least through the November elections. Um, but however, you know, beyond 2024, do you think that the macro environment could be supportive for risk assets or is it just too far or too early to look out that far? Look, I, I think as you think about what risk assets need and specifically equities to do well, you need a, a very strong liquidity environment. 
the two elephants in the room are the fact that the U.S. is well down the path of its sovereign debt crisis, and it is reliant on liquidity coming from the Fed and the Treasury, because the Treasury will start doing uh, U.S. Treasury buybacks, in order to maintain a functioning Treasury market where Treasuries trade like cash and where they can issue at rates uh, that are below nominal GDP growth. So I don't think there's anything that's going to change dollar liquidity except where we get bouts of volatility or in the case of the, the Fed and the Treasury running the economy too hot going into the election. The other elephant that's in the room is China's in a debt deflation, and China desperately needs to devalue their currency, and they can't do it. They would love to see the U.S. cut interest rates in order to give them some room to uh, provide additional liquidity uh, to their economy. And I don't think the BOJ is in any different position, nor is Europe. So I think the liquidity environment is going to remain very supportive for risk assets for the foreseeable future, even beyond 24, although there's going to be bumps in the roads because of the fiscal dominance and because of the largesse of U.S. deficits and the crowding out that it will present. I think the real risk to risk assets beyond the election is going to be if we run the economy too hot and we reaccelerate inflationary conditions, it is not out of the realm of possibilities. I'm not saying it's in the base case, but if we do that, we could see inflation start to run well north of 4%. We could see GDP running, nominal GDP running, you know, call it, uh, 8%, maybe getting to 9 depending on how much fiscal spending and deficits we run through, and we are going to have uh, a recovery on the industrial side. And that scenario, that may force the Fed to raise rates dramatically higher than we were before. You may see a two 250 basis point increase in rates, and that will create a real issue for risk assets writ large. So they're definitely <coughs> trying to thread the needle. You know, so far, um, you know, with the decisions they made, maybe they'll be successful. We'll just have to stand back and watch. But I do think it's going to present a lot of opportunities in the market because it's going to create distinct winners and losers as we traverse over the next several quarters. Um, one more question for you today. I'm going to shift over a bit toward market specifics. So, you know, anecdotally, you know, we're, we're seeing a really increased interest in, in small caps. Do you think this is a situation where the valuation gap is between large caps and small caps? It's become so significant that it's forcing investors to, to look outside large. And maybe I'll, I'll just caveat that with saying, you know, I wrote, I wrote that question on, on Monday morning, and <laughs> all of a sudden small caps were down 4.5% on Tuesday. Yeah, so look, there's, there's no question people are, are overexposed to large and large cap tech, and, and that can make individuals want to diversify away and and with the strong performance in the fourth quarter by small caps that creates the narrative for some performance chasing and as i said we're going to have a cyclical recovery we're getting towards the end of the economic slowdown in the industrial side and we're still early in a liquidity cycle that began in late 22 and it's going to last several years so all of those would present a positive backdrop for small caps over time. Uh, now let's separate out what's really happened. 
it, you know, large caps have dramatically outperformed small cap indices, not necessarily an actively managed small cap strategy. And that's because, you know, REITs and financials have been a drag for a good portion of the last six to eight quarters. Uh, but the real telling is just look at the earnings being reported where, you know, you're seeing S&P earnings up mid single digits and you're seeing Russell 2000 earnings down, you know, 35, 40 percent year over year. And at the end of the day, what we're going to find is it's less market cap oriented and it's more what are your underlying fundamentals. And so I remain in the camp that indices, um, a diversified index, which the S&P 500 is no longer a diversified index, but a diversified index is going to struggle. Because inevitably, we are going to go through periods of accelerating and decelerating inflation. We still have a large uh, refi window in front of us that starts to pick up a little bit in 24, but gets more difficult in 25 and 26. And because of fiscal dominance and because of the shift in the inflationary regime, it just means, you know, we're still a little bit out of balance. So um, I... I don't think you can make a statement that larges are going to outperform smalls or smalls going to outperform large. It's going to be company and sector specific from here. All right, good. Well, that's a good place to wrap. So thank you, Chris. Um, and we'll, we'll catch you on here soon. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson strategies.